Alpha, a Houston Clean Cities Coalition podcast. Clean Cities is generously funded by the Department of Energy and hosted within the Houston-Galveston Area Council. Here are our hosts, Andrew DeCandis, Gilbert Washington, and Ben Finley. Take it away, Andrew. Hello and welcome to HJC's Fuel for Thought. I'm Andrew DeCandis, one of the co-coordinators for the houston Galveston Clean Cities Coalition. Today I'm joined by my co-coordinators, Ben Finley. Hello, everybody. And Gilbert Washington. Hey. Later on, we'll hear from Chris Powers, the owner of Houston Biodiesel. Besides making this podcast, the houston Galveston Clean Cities Coalition also works to bring our stakeholders many other events, such as webinars, educational events, and stakeholder meetings, to help expand the use of alternative fuels within our region. In addition to hearing from Chris Powers today, you can find all of our webinars featuring alternative fuels on our website, as well as information about upcoming events. Hey Gilbert, what is the website address? That is houston-cleancities.org. Andrew, you know our HR department and our public outreach department want us to say it three times. Say it again for us. Houston-cleancities.org. That's right. It is houston-cleancities.org. That's the same website people can go to to join our coalition of stakeholders or just keep tabs on what we're doing. Membership is free, but we do expect our members to do stuff. Let's move on to our interview, but do stay tuned for our membership shout out for this episode after the interview. In today's interview, I virtually sat down with Chris Powers of Houston Biodiesel, the largest biodiesel fuel provider in the Houston region. Chris shared some of the history of biodiesel as well as modern uses of the fuel. I learned quite a bit about biodiesel in this interview, and I hope you all enjoyed as much as I did. Without further ado, let's dive into our discussion with Chris. We're very excited to have our guest, Chris Powers, for today's podcast. He operates the most well-known biodiesel fuel distribution company in our Houston region, Houston Biodiesel. And I can't wait to hear his thoughts on the past, present, and future of biodiesel fuel. Welcome to the Fuel for Thought podcast, Chris. Thanks, Gilbert. Thanks for inviting me. It's really wonderful to be here with you today. Thank you. So we'll jump right into it. Um, you know, we've had a chance to uh, to talk before we started recording, and I think that um, all of our listeners, our coalition, we're very excited uh, to hear a little bit more about biodiesel. Biodiesel is one of the most interesting alternative fuels. It may be one of the first fuels that comes to mind when thinking about an alternative to gasoline. However, many are unaware of its application. Tell me, what are some of the most common users of biodiesel and why? Well, that's a good question. Um, people are Most people I encounter are aware of biodiesel, but they really don't know how to use it or what really, really it's for. I just want to give you a little bit of history because the uses have kind of changed over the past 20 years. Um, I started the company back in 2000, and from 2000 to about, I don't know, 2007, all of our customers were private individuals, you know, a diesel Volkswagen, diesel Mercedes, diesel Jeep, um, pickup trucks. Um, so back then, everyone using biodiesel was driving a diesel automobile of some kind. And back in 2007 and a few years after that, we had, remember when fuel prices were just really high? It was like close to $5 a gallon back then. Mm. Uh, we had about two years of a lot of tractor trailers and dump trucks and heavy equipment using biodiesel because we were about 
about 50 cents a gallon cheaper and our business was booming. And during that time, I saw a, a new customer come in, um, chemical companies, small specialty chemical companies started to experiment with biodiesel. It's grown and pop more in popularity days, but these chemical companies would use biodiesel uh, for primarily an industrial cleaner. And they'd take biodiesel as their base product and they'd add to it to make a specialty chemical, which they'd sell to, um, you know, a lot of it, uh, people who have like um, petroleum mess, like uh, asphalt. Biodiesel, tremendous asphalt salt. Uh, mm. We sell it as a uh, concrete release, as a, in the industry, a, a magnet release. When you make magnets for electric cars, as you take a hunk of metal and you stamp it really hard to magnetize it and uh, biodiesel makes a great release agent to get the parts apart you know um, mm. a lot of companies like paving and roofing company use it they spray their tools with it so the asphalt doesn't stick to their equipment um, so they're paint brushes uh, cleaners uh, bicycle chain degreasers we we've got just a lot of chemical company uh, using biodiesel but still we still have the primary use is fuel so okay. but I just want to say biodiesel is a very versatile uh, chemical that um, you can use not only as a fuel, but as um, as a, you know, an, an industrial cleaner of some sort. Wow, that's a, a very wide range. I did not. Oh, yeah. yeah. Matter of fact, today we have uh, we're shipping out four tote to Oklahoma. Uh, a tote is a 330 gallon like a uh, plastic container on a pallet. It's a mm -hmm. good way to move bulk liquid. We're having a couple of drums are going to a research uh, facility for testing uh, and uh, and the pump will be outside and hopefully we'll get some customers today to fill up. Okay, yeah. here we go. And for those that may not be as familiar with biodiesel fuel, um, how would you best describe the process of creating it? Well, this is where I wish we had a video. Um, I'd like to do a, um, a little demonstration. But if you can imagine, uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have dabbled in making soap before. Uh, biodiesel is much the same. Um, when you make soap, you take a fat, just say, you know, um, a vegetable oil, okay? And you take a strong base like potassium or sodium hydroxide. Then you add, then you have water. And we know when you mix the, all three of those together in the right ratios, you end up with soap. Uh, to make biodiesel, take the same fat, say that vegetable oil, and you take one of the strong bases like potassium or sodium hydroxide. But this time, instead of using water, you use methanol or ethanol. And you mix the methanol and your catalyst together. And then you mix that with your vegetable oil in a very simple chemical process, big word, process called transesterification. Um, it basically breaks down the vegetable oil molecule into uh, the glycerin and three biodiesel molecules. So um, if you can if you can imagine a glycerin molecule, this giant blob, and then three esters attached to it, that's your bio, that's your vegetable oil molecule, where you have your glycerin and your three esters. And then when you add that catalyst, it splits off the esters and the esters bond with the methanol to form methyl ester. And that's what biodiesel is, is methyl ester. So you have your only waste product is really glycerin, which has thousands in its own. So there's no there's no nothing goes to waste really. It's a very simple pro process, and um, I, I taught workshops from um, 2000 to 2010, teaching people how to homebrew uh, safely for their personal use, you know, mm -hmm. in their vehicles. And, and that's kind of faded away these days, but um, it's something that you can do safely, you know, in your garage or even in your kitchen, act small batch. Uh, I sometimes go to schools and do biodiesel demonstrations where I make biodiesel in a two-liter soft drink bottle, you know, just uh, shaking it up to show the reaction. And then you let it sit for a few minutes, and you can see the biodiesel on top and the glycerin on the bottom and that's what we 
call a phase separation where you have the biodiesel and glycerin and then you know you get you have to further clean the biodiesel to make it uh, useful as a fuel but it's a very simple process anyone can do it and and how has that technology uh, changed over the years well there's the uh, the traditional method the trans esterification which I just talked about uh, where you use a catalyst and al- alcohol split the molecule and make biodiesel and glycerin you could there's another process called a supercritical process which basically you get rid of the catalyst so the sodium or potassium hydroxide you can do without that and under high temperature and high pressure you can split that vegetable oil molecule and just have some methanol available to bond with it and you have biodiesel so you end up with the same um, end result but you don't have to use a catalyst now there's two other there's actually three other methods methods, um, ultrasonic method, a lipase catalyzed method, and anaerobic digestion method. And, and would you say that as the technologies have advanced, has that impacted equipment and vehicle performance at all in terms of mileage or horsepower? One thing I like to say about biodiesel is we've had customers in the past come in and say, hey, my mileage is dropped or my mileage is increased. The important thing to remember is biodiesel on average has about 7% less BTU. Uh, energy units than diesel fuel, um, but it has a higher cetane and higher lubricity. So if you're trying to, when you say performance, I guess that means like, you know, power, but also mileage, right? Right. Is that your, yeah, so, those are the main two uh, that we hear as a as an agency, as far as some of the drawbacks of alternative fuels, a lot of fleets are just concerned with mileage. Of course, there's yeah. that range fear and as well as uh, horsepower. Well, well, a lot of my clients, you know, they're commercial drivers and they're, say, have a pickup truck and they've got a 40 foot gooseneck trailer loaded down with 15,000 pounds. And if they're running pure biodiesel, they notice a slight performance decrease. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a trade off because um, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk later about the emission, maybe the other benefits of biodiesel. But for now, um, you can expect a slight mileage and power drop in biodiesel. Now, it's not as bad someone going from, like, say, gasoline to ethanol. Okay. That's a bigger drop, much bigger, actually. Biodiesel, it's even, it's barely, like I said, it's 5%. It's very, but the higher lubricity number, you know, diesel fuel today has very low sulfur and um, or no sulfur right um, ultra low sulfur and one thing that sulfur brought to diesel fuel was lubricity mm-hmm. which really helps your engine components you know last a long time um, just using two percent biodiesel in your tank restores that lubricity so your all your mm-hmm. your your injector pump and your fuel injectors in your diesel you know can uh, less wear on those components um, another benefit for biodiesel is the higher cetane which is a performance upgrade so lubricity and cetane both provide you better mileage and performance, but not enough to combat the 7% BTU loss, right? So it kind of evens it out a little, little bit. Um, but you, you can think of cetane as uh, kind of like a diesel equivalent of octane. Everyone knows like, you know, 87 octane or 93 octane in, in their in their gasoline. Um, cetane is a similar number for diesel fuel and biodiesel inherently has a much higher cetane number. So what that what that does for you for a diesel engine, a high cetane will quiet down the engine. Um, it does that because as the ignition cycle starts, it ramps up and it's smoother. Uh, diesel fuel just explodes, you know, bam. And that's why you get that kind of rattly diesel sound. Mm -hmm. Um, But with using biodiesel, you can actually hear if someone pulls up with their diesel truck running diesel fuel, you start filling the tank with biodiesel, you can actually hear the engine note chain uh, to, uh, it's almost like you're burning butter, you know, it just kind (laughs) of, it smooths out. It's nice. Mm -hmm. Well, cetane, it's a longer 
burn. So when the piston under the power cycle, that the higher cetane number enables the combustion cycle to happen over a longer period of time. And, and that gives this, you know, less um, audio. Um, you know, it's a quieter running and, and it gives you a longer power, you know, a longer, smoother when the piston moves. And uh, that's all it's all good stuff. You know, yeah. That, and you mentioned um, in terms of the sound, you know, that's a really big issue with school buses. A oh, lot of gosh. times, um, you know, when we're, we're speaking with ISDs as far as uh, looking to replace some of their diesel buses and that that comes up a lot. You know how loud they are, um, mm-hmm. as well as the smell. Um, you know, that's you don't think about that as, um, you know, as an adult that's been out of school for a while. But, yeah, that's you know, those are really important asset aspects when it comes to replacing some of those older diesel buses, what they know what they're looking for. I don't know about you, Gilbert, but uh, when I'm next to a big diesel, an older school, let's say older school diesel, right? They mm-hmm. just I can't stand the smell. Yeah. Some people like the smell, but uh, and, you, mm-hmm. and when you run by diesel, that's another benefit. Odor is pleasant. I mean, OK, it's exhaust. All right. It will kill you. It has carbon <laughs> monoxide. All right. But it. It, it, it's just not as uh, I don't know dry and rat. It really irritates my nose. Diesel fuel, but biodiesel, not so much. You know, not so much. Yeah. And you also mentioned uh, emission reduction, and yeah, that is certainly a, a key value for many alternative fuels. You know, uh, can you explain some of the benefits of biodiesel when it comes to mm-hmm. emission reduction? And also, if you could add, if are there any grant programs out there that advocate for this technology since so many are based on emission reduction goals? Yeah, you know, let me just touch on the um, on the grants. There is the um, a production um, a federal, uh, they call it the RINS credit, R-I-N-S, RINS credit. And uh, I could touch more on that later, but um, the um, there is a financial benefit for companies to produce biodiesel mm-hmm. and use it as a fuel, and um, and that RINS credit varies in value every day. It's it's a it's a it's like a, a commodity almost, you know. So that's the only thing I could find. Um, but I do know a bit about the environmental benefits, uh, the emissions, um, which are unbelievable numbers. Um, I mean, everyone's talking about CO2 reduction these days, and if you take let's just say the worst biodiesel as far as let's grow a crop for oil to make biodiesel, worst crop I can think of, soybean, right? And that makes seem surprising, but the yield from a soybean field is very low compared to, oh, let's say like um, like rapeseed uh, or mustard, you know, um, which is also called canola. Everyone has a much higher production value per hectare than soybean. Um, but even still, if you just take the soybean numbers, um, you have a net 78% CO2 reduction over diesel fuel. If you're running B100 soy biodiesel, now B100 is like pure biodiesel, no diesel fuel in your vehicle, you could have some satisfaction knowing that you're reducing your carbon footprint by 78%. That's that's amazing. I mean, and that includes the full life cycle of farming the crop, harvesting, uh, extracting the oil, making the biodiesel, transporting it to your local biodiesel station, uh, me, <laughs> and the electricity. <laughs> And the electricity in the pump to fill your vehicle. And then the exhaust out the tailpipe, which as far as the CO2 is the same as diesel fuel. So there's no change in like the CO2 emitted out your tailpipe. But if you consider the whole life cycle of fuel, that CO2, you know, can be reabsorbed by a plant, turned back in fat, made back into biodiesel, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a nice cycle there that you can keep your CO2 print, CO2 footprint uh, reduced. Um, Switch gears here a little bit. The um, biodiesel, um, a lot of people just don't know what it is. And I'd just like to take a moment to tell people that it's non-toxic. It's biodegradable. It's renewable. We talked about a little bit. 
And it's non-flammable, right? Which kind of blows people away. It's a non-flammable liquid. Uh, it's also domestically produced and it's very simple to make. So um, basically you think of it as a, a diesel fuel alternative that has all those benefits. As far as emissions go, um, the EPA did some tests um, on some over-the-highway heavy equipment. And these tests were kind of old. They were back in 94. Um, I think it was 94. And they extrapolated some numbers. So if you were running B100, pure biodiesel, in your your truck. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a 50% reduction in smoke, or we call particulate matter. Those fine particles that you breathe in mm-hmm. in your lungs and mm-hmm. don't come right are potentially cancer-causing smoke. Uh, 50% reduction. That's huge. Yeah. There's also a 50% reduction in carbon monoxide and a 70% reduction, nearly 70% reduction in hydrocarbon emission. Now, the trade-off is a slight NOx increase, talking, you know, single-digit increase in nitrous oxide. Mm-hmm. And those numbers vary according to what engine you're testing, under what conditions. There's a lot of variables, but as a general uh, figures, those are some pretty good numbers, I think, for biodiesel to stand by. Yeah. Now that you you mentioned that, so many of our funding programs, and I'm speaking from, you know, we wear multiple hats in the agency I work for, with, which is the Houston Galveston Area Council. And one of our programs is the Clean Vehicles Program, uh, which utilizes NOx reduction as the determining factor as far as funding. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, a, as a result, maybe some, some of our alternative fuels, which have so many other benefits, and it may not be just that one particular emission reduction, which you know is NOx in this particular scenario, uh, should still be looked at because the benefits of other emissions are also important. You know, we're, we're non-attainment as a region uh, for a reason. And we're, we're going to have to attack all sides and not just focus so much on, on <laughs> one. That's, that's my personal opinion. Not, I'm not representing anybody when I say that, but it's, no, uh, you know, I think it, it's good to know this. That's great information uh, because once, you know, if we do end up becoming non-attainment in some of these other emissions and we can start to look into directions, into fuels that would assist in lowering those numbers, uh, maybe that will then strengthen our relationship as, as an agency, as a funding group, as a grant program uh, into looking back at, uh, at biodiesel technology. Mm-hmm. And, and and speaking of funding, uh, I wanted to kind of uh, transition just a little bit. Uh, we, we're seeing a lot of, uh, of grant opportunities created for infrastructure, you know, such as uh, EV charger or a, a CNG station. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is there, in your experience, and you, you mentioned this earlier, for some of uh, you know, light duty vehicles and even maybe schools having their own on-site, uh, maybe not fueling station, but how they could convert some of their vegetable oil, oil into biodiesel. But are there any on-site units that could be built? And, and who would you think would benefit from that type of there are certainly on-site units that uh, you can purchase and get operational to produce biodiesel. But I just thought of something. If you don't mind if I switch back to emissions just for a second on mm-hmm. NOx. Um, the EPA tested those vehicles, uh, did that testing on older style diesel, right? Uh, the modern diesels, like I drive a, a relatively new BMW diesel and all the new diesels have, I mean, I can't even tell it's a diesel. You know, they run so quiet and smooth, but they have um, special emissions equipment on it that help deal with nitrous oxide emission in particular as well. So um, I'm sure if you were to test, my gut feeling is if you're, if you're to test a modern diesel fuel with biodiesel, it'll do quite well, a lot better than maybe the older engines. So that's just my two cents on that. Um, <clears throat> On the on-site production, say you had like a facility that had, um, we'll just say like, you know, um, a school district, right? Um, You have cafeterias, 
you're producing uh, waste cooking oil. You could certainly change that into biodiesel, but you know it takes a lot of um, effort. Um, I know biodiesel is easy to make. You could do it in your kitchen, but you almost have to have like another company or department or you know and staff to run that equipment. Um, a lot of times it's just cheaper to buy it, you know, by the tanker load or, or however you want to get it. But you can certainly, if you were large enough and had enough oil in a fleet, you could certainly have your own very small batch plant, you know, making, you know, you know, we're talking like a thousand gallons a day or maybe even more or mm. smaller plants, even making a hundred gallons. But a hundred gallons is more homebrew style, but um, it certainly can be done. And there are companies out there that have batch plants that they'd love to sell, <laughs> you know. Right. But a lot of times it's just easier just to buy it. Yeah. So when you say they have, they could have plans to sell, this could be an, a revenue stream for schools potentially, if even if they didn't utilize the fuel themselves. Mm-hmm. Is is that is that accurate in that assumption or? I suppose so. In order for them to be qualified to sell it, they'd have to have a federal um, okay. registration as a producer, which can be done. You know, um, but that, that makes it a bit more complex, and you have uh, uh, excise and. Uh, well, a school doesn't pay any fuel tax, so they have that benefit. But um, you definitely have the tax situation, the road tax to pay. Uh, that's one advantage biodiesel has as far as you mentioned grants and things. But in Texas, biodiesel doesn't have to pay state excise tax, which is, uh, I think it's 20 cents a gallon. So that's a little advantage they have. Um, so on diesel fuel and biodiesel, you pay 24.4 cents federal tax. And at diesel fuel, you have to pay 20 cents excise tax. But biodiesel is exempt from that, which is nice. And um, <clears throat> that gives it a slight advantage at the pump, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, while we're here, let's go ahead and uh, let's take a step back and let's discuss uh, Houston Biodiesel and uh, maybe a little bit of the history. How, how did it become to uh, being established? Oh, gosh. Take me back a long way. 30 years ago, a neighbor of mine, we were both driving diesel, I don't know, Mercedes or some, something like that. You know, the older, like the 300Ds or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, Chris, Chris, let's let's make biodiesel. He's all excited about it. And this is back in 1990 you know the internet wasn't uh, as resourceful as it is today on the topic and i just had this fear of i said no thank you i had this fear of like you know uh fire and toxic fumes and um and but he planted a seed in my head and about a year later and he moved away uh, back to new york but a year later <clears throat> excuse me i started making it on my own and um i was like man this is great i'm you know fuel independent now and i the, I, I, I there's a point for like from 1992 to 2010 where i never went to a gas station you know mm. i made all my own fuel it was fantastic and during that time i uh you know it was a lot of work to make your own it's like another, starting another hobby right and um it began to wear on me a little bit so i decided to uh, maybe just buy this stuff you know and uh and it took a it was very hard to find it for sale, but I eventually just started buying it. And then I was like, wow, you know, no one's selling this. I should maybe think about starting it. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And uh, so we started selling it and it took a long time to figure out the rule and because no one could tell me straight answer. And so we just did it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We stuck the the pump out there and we did all the the necessary paperwork that we thought was uh, necessary. And I was harassed by authorities. Shut it down. And I was uh, red tagged and and um, that's when the fire department comes out and or the fire marshal red tagged and they say this this device is not safe, but they couldn't tell me why. I was like, why why is it not safe? And because they were holding me to standards of diesel fuel, not oh. biodiesel. And if I was dispensing diesel fuel, they are correct. It would have been unsafe. But being biodiesel being a non-flammable liquid, we have some other 
we have some things we could do that you can't do with diesel fuel, like, um, you know, electrical wiring and things like that don't have to be um, up to code like a traditional gas station does, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the um, so we, we just stuck our neck out and started selling biodiesel and it grew gradually. And that was, we started back in, um, I think it was 2000 oh, wow. is when Houston Biodiesel started officially. So we're like, you know, 21 years into it now. Wow. And uh, yeah, and it, we're actually, we're actually, uh, past couple of years have been a little bit difficult, but this year um, we've seen a growth. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's growing again, which is nice, you know. Right. Which actually brings me to my next question. Um, you know, I, I know you're a businessman. You just mentioned that you have an entrepreneurial mind. So I know there's probably plans to expand at, mm-hmm. at, you know, at, at some point. But um, and I'm sure you have a lot of data in terms of where in Houston a lot of your users are coming from. Um, in a general, you don't have to be specific, but in general, uh, what areas, whether that be rural, uh, suburban or you know, inner city, urban areas, what areas are you seeing utilizing biodiesel the most? Let's see. Um, the big players in biodiesel have been and seems to be for the near future are going to be like the big oil companies, surprisingly, like Valero mm. and Chevron and those guys. They produce biodiesel and they sell it and you'll find it at most uh, diesel stations, especially trust, truck stop. Uh, you'll find... You'll, so by and large, the, ma- the, the vast majority of biodiesel consumed is as a fuel and in, in blended with diesel fuel. And the blend amount depends on the price of biodiesel compared diesel fuel. Okay. So, for instance, right now, biodiesel we sell it for almost $4 a gallon. Okay. It's, it's pretty expensive. And people call me up, Hey, how much is your biodiesel? I'm like, Hey, it's $4 a gallon. Uh, click, you know, or they go like, how much? I go $4. And they're like, and they're like $3. I'm like, no, four. <laughs> and it's like, wow. You know, and they get mad at me for charging so much. I'm like, look, I'm just a small businessman. I don't control the price. You know, I'm, I'm I, I just, you know, I, you know, I don't control the market at all, believe me. So um, it's a commodity like gold, right? So <clears throat> sometimes it seems about as valuable too. Um, yeah. But yeah, the big players are the big oil companies and they they sell it and are blended with diesel fuel uh, at the pump where anyone with a diesel vehicle can get biodiesel almost anywhere. And you'll know on the pump, you'll see a little green sticker. It'll say B5. And that's a, that's a very common sticker. And what that means is this pump may contain up to 5% biodiesel. That's it may contain right so you'll there's also you know b10 b20 and you know that just means your percentage of biodiesel blended with diesel fuel and that's really the best way to get biodiesel on the street is mix it with diesel fuel and that helps the diesel lubricity which we talked about earlier it helps boost the uh, cetane numbers of diesel fuel and that helps um and it also helps a little bit on the emission right not a lot because you only use a small percentage but that's the best way for most people to use biodiesel uh the purists come to me for b100 you know that hey i want to run i don't want to run diesel fuel at all and then that's the that's my custom now I mentioned that the pump will say B5. This uh, this pump may contain up to 5% biodiesel. So you're there pumping, filling your vehicle. You're not even sure if you're getting any biodiesel at all. There's a secret way to figure out how. And what you want to do is you want to look at your receipt. Remember I mentioned earlier about the excise tax, how biodiesel is exempt. So you could, uh, you can crunch the math and you could figure out exactly the percentage of biodiesel by how much excise tax pay. See? So if you, if you filled up with one gallon and your receipt said you paid 20 cents excise tax well guess what there was no there was no biodiesel that gallon bought right so you can figure it out that way 
Um, that's a little a lesser, uh, a neat trick to figure out exactly what they're dispensing. See, special uh, tip for mm-hmm. all our listeners. You know, it's already, it's mm-hmm. already, it's worth listening here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bring some tips to the trade. There's um, some other users that are I mentioned earlier about the chemical companies, right? There's a lot of special special chemical companies that are transitioning from product that had a diesel kerosene base. They're transitioning to a biodiesel base, and that's been a growing business for us. So that's I like to see that now. They're not using it as a fuel, obviously, but it still has other benefits environmentally, uh, replacing those uh, petroleum products with a biodiesel base. So that's nice to see. I'm sure locally, you know, the biodiesel market is probably a very tight knit group. Like you said, everybody comes to you, um, the purist, you know, as you say. Um, Is there any way that someone that may be on the fence or somewhat interested in biodiesel can follow the happenings in the region as far as biodiesel activity or any events? Yeah, I wish there was, but unfortunately the the heyday of the biodiesel enthusiasts is over and i don't know if it'll ever come back i hope it does but um we were the central place you know houston biodiesel we had all the body users and uh get togethers and things like that workshops and um, it was a lot of fun but as the price you know so so many of it is price motivated that um biodiesel is just so expensive that uh, my customer base is very very small and uh they're loyal but it's um, it's a sad topic to talk about. But you know, prices came, and if Bodysol can't compete, you know that that uh, individual calls and asks me, "Hey, how much is your Bodysol?" I'm like four dollars. They freak out. It's like wow, you know. Yeah. But if, if someone came from California, they're like, "Oh my gosh, it is yeah, so cheap." <laughs> Only four dollars? No, I mean I just took a trip with a family and uh, you know a forty five hundred mile trip, road trip, and uh, and uh, fuel's cheap in Texas, people. Mm-hmm. I mean don't complain about the price. Texas fuel is cheap compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the nation. So um, stop complaining about it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that is very true. Very true. I, I, I mean, actually um, moved here from California. So oh, yeah. So. You know, there's another biodiesel called. Uh, uh, should have talked talked it, uh, about it earlier, but you mentioned about different methods of making biodiesel. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard of renewable diesel, right? Yes. Okay, so that's a process, another process of making a biodiesel, but it's not the same as what we're selling. It really requires, uh, you know. Shell has to make it. You know what I mean? You can't make this in your garage. Um, and, and it's where you take a fat and you uh, and you basically treat it like petroleum and you crack it in a tower and it makes renewable diesel, which is an excellent fuel. But guess what? We make a lot of it in Texas, all of it in California. Okay? It goes rail car. None of it ends up here because we won't pay for it. It's too expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's typically the case for all alternative fuels. California gets them all and then they'll mm-hmm. determine, you know, some of the best practices. It'll trend around some other states in the country and then maybe you know mm-hmm. 10 years or so pass in texas will eventually yeah you know if you want to see the future i guess you look at california and see go. okay yep. i should go. mention that um, um our customer base for has has waned a little bit over the years actually has waned a lot um you know with Electric cars have mm-hmm. taken some of our client base, which is fine. I have an electric car too, and they're mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, but I mean, you mentioned it earlier about the solution to our problems are not just, hey, we have to use biodiesel, everyone has to use it. No, that's not the case. It's it's going to be a, a balanced approach. You know, it's, mm-hmm. we're going to have your your biodiesel users over here, have your electric over here, your you know your your uh, your high you know your um, uh, different um, what's it what's it, the the um, I was about to say fusion, but no, that's not. Maybe that's a little, <laughs> a little ahead of its time. But, <laughs> right. 
hydrogen, hydrogen uh, um, vehicles. But uh, don't forget, the, the biggest polluters are industry, not individuals, right? So we, we can do a lot ourselves, but it's going to take uh, people voting and getting people in office. We'll make big changes, environmental changes, the right one, fast before it's too late. Uh, you know, so that's the uh, can't forget about voting and getting people in office who can actually make changes that will help us have clean water and air for the future and our kids. Mm-hmm. For our last question, um, we always want to give the uh, interviewed party a chance to maybe ask themselves a question or something that uh, we can think about as we listen to this podcast and, and ponder during our lunch break. So if you have any uh, any question that you would like to ask or just just some fuel for thought, please. I do. I like to tell people about um, Dr. Diesel and a little bit of history and how we were in a movement 120 years ago on a renewable path and how that changed. <clears throat> so back in um, 1897, Dr. Diesel got his patent for what he called the heat engine. And I actually have it on my wall. His copy of his patent is on my wall over there framed. And I like to look at it and what it is. It's a diesel engine which they called a heat engine back then, a compression ignition engine. And um, he invented it, and there were early engines. They were quite big engines. They were big. <clears throat> they were the kind of engine that you couldn't put in a vehicle. It was the kind of engine that a factory would buy, power their production, right? You'd have one engine, and you've probably seen films and pictures of uh, a factory with you know wheels and belts powering, going to different parts of the factory, you know, turning things, a very dangerous environment. You know, a diesel engine was part of that. That was the power factor. And um, <clears throat> back in 1900, at the World's Fair, 1900, uh, the French government displayed a Dr. Diesel heat engine running on peanut oil. And that was revolutionary. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. this is uh, an engine running on vegetable oil. Uh, the, the French government at the time had, uh, they were growing peanuts in Africa. Okay. So they had an interest in what do we do with this peanut oil? Let's, you know, have a fuel, right? So it made sense for them to do that. And so what happened? You know, here 100, 120 years ago, we're running a diesel engine on peanut oil and, um, you know, petroleum happened, right? And um, petroleum kind of shot all that down. It all had to do with economic, right, and availability. So, um, you know, crude oil came around and you can make diesel fuel out of it. And that became the main fuel for the diesel engine. Uh, but you can't forget that a diesel engine is very tolerant to run on multi-fuel. You could run it on kerosene, on jet fuel, on vegetable oil, on diesel fuel, on, you know, it'll run on motor oil. I mean, you know, it, it'll be dirty, okay, but um, a diesel engine can run on a variety of fuels, and uh, it just seems like, you know, 100 years ago, we were on a, on a taking positive steps toward renewable fuels, mm-hmm. and then petroleum kicked its butt, and it's been trying to make a biodiesel, bio not vegetable oil, but biodiesel, what, what it is, is uh, you just can't pour vegetable oil in your tank and drive, right? <laughs> so what biodiesel is, is the vegetable oil, or even animal fat, you know, chemically altered, so it resembles the vegetable viscosity of diesel fuel so your fuel system can handle it without any modification. So I should have touched on that earlier, but um, <clears throat> but biodiesel is a, a modified vegetable or animal fat that you can use in your diesel vehicle without any modification. So that's nice. kind of my thoughts, a uh, little history there. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's nice. I think a lot of people will appreciate the uh, Dr. Diesel story and look into it. Yeah, <laughs> he has a fascinating life story as well, and his death is a mystery. So if anyone wants to get research that, I think uh, I can just get on Wikipedia and look and read that and go, wow, 
interesting guy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, sounds like one of the, uh, you know, one of those genius of his time, yep. misunderstood. Yep. But, Brilliant engineer. Yep, yeah. Totally. Awesome. awesome. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for your time. This has been amazing to hear uh, your perspective on all things biodiesel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we hope that, as you mentioned before, there, of course, things are trending towards EV and maybe, you know, some other alternative fuels. But mm-hmm. we, we really hope that uh, biodiesel is recognized for what it contributes to our air quality, what it contributes to our vehicles. And uh, if there's anything that we can do as far as clean cities, uh, this is an open line. We treat biodiesel as like any other alternative fuel. So if there's anything that we can do outreach wise, if there's anything that uh, we can help you plan event wise, please let us know. And uh, we, we're not we're not identifying one particular fuel as the best fuel. We're fuel neutral. You know, we'll treat everybody the same. And I appreciate you just being able to you know sit down with me and, and share all this information. And maybe we can do this uh, again next year and things will be a little bit different so but thank you this is this was great this is super uh super interesting stuff thank you gilbert for inviting me and allowing me to express my thoughts on biodiesel and hopefully uh, shed some light and re- remove some of the mystery around uh how to use it properly and um, i really enjoyed my, our time today thank you thank you great interview gilbert now let's move on to our free for all forum This is the part of the podcast where the three of us will chat about the interview and any other Clean Cities topics, events, and minutia that we find interesting. The three of us each have unique perspectives, and we always encourage free-flow discussions. To start off, something that I had never realized about biodiesel is just how accessible it is to the average vehicle owner. Aside from the normal way of going down to your local fueling station, you can make it yourself at home. Now, I've known that this is a possibility for a long time, but... Until listening to Gilbert talk to Chris, I had never realized just how straightforward the actual act of homebrewing biodiesel was. There's even multiple pathways that one could take to convert cooking oil to biodiesel, depending on the needs and resources. I wanted to mention this uh, since sustainability is a, a perennially hot topic, and this struck me as a potentially underrated benefit of biodiesel. Ben, did you have any takeaways from the interview? My main takeaway was actually a bit of a sad one. Uh, I'm getting the sense that even though biodiesel may not have been our first alternative fuel, it's starting to show signs of being the first alternative fuel that's becoming to be pushed to the side or maybe even forgotten. I must admit that I never really knew a lot about biodiesel, and I kept thinking uh, that it was uh, renewable diesel, which it isn't. Uh, I had to do some internetting to prep for the banter portion of this podcast, and I found very little details about biodiesel. And I think this aspect is somewhat supported by Chris as he was identifying additional customer bases for biodiesel, such as solvents, uh, lubricants, and industry. That being said, biodiesel can still be used directly as vehicle fuel in diesel engines without the need of changing or upgrading the diesel engine itself. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that, Ben. Uh, Biodiesel is extremely versatile, um, not just for auto gas. This is my first time hearing about its use as a cleaning agent. It can be used to clean oil spills, remove grease, paint, or adhesives. And despite it not being a popular fuel type for many fleets, specifically in our region, 
It serves as a fuel enhancer for fleets that use diesel fuel. If I were the owner of a fleet, I would love the idea of a fuel enhancer that reduces wear and tear of all those moving parts. When we meet with fleets, we always show the average maintenance costs of diesel engines versus alternatives. And many times the cost of fuel and maintenance makes alternative fuels just a better fiscal option. One thing I did find during my internetting exercises was our old friend RFS2, or the Renewable Fuel Standards, which goes all the way back to 2005. Basically, in 2005, the nation wanted to increase the amount of renewable fuels in order to spur technology and innovation with alternative fuels, and the idea was to stretch the use of our national energy consumption. Uh, This is kind of what Clean Cities has adopted, promoting the alternative fuels in order to better manage our national energy reserves. If biodiesel does make a shift from the vehicular uses into the industrial uses, we will need to see other alternative fuels increase their amounts to suck up that vacancy that may be being pushed aside. One thing that we discussed in that interview uh, was funding availability revolving around biodiesel. And this wouldn't be a Clean Cities podcast without mentioning alternative fuel grant opportunities. Of course, we wish there were more revolving around biodiesel as a fuel. It still has relevant applications. Uh, However, there are a couple of funding opportunities that we want to discuss in this podcast briefly. Uh, We currently have great news for local school districts. Houston-Galveston Area Council has funding available for the replacement of old school buses. They're also incentivizing alternative fuel technology with very competitive grant packages. Also, we are anticipating that TCEQ's TERP program will be announcing the Clean School Bus program in the next coming months. And speaking of TERP, the Light Duty Motor Vehicle Purchase or Lease Incentive Programs is now accepting applications for CNG, LPG, hydrogen, and EV vehicles. Now it's time for a special membership shout-out. We have two shout-outs today that we hope will echo throughout our region. See what I did there, Gilbert? (laughs) Right. The first shout-out goes out to the Port of Galveston. The Port of Galveston is currently undertaking the difficult task of achieving a Green Marine certification. Part of this certification is reducing the emissions from vehicles and equipment by replacing or updating them with newer, cleaner technologies and fuels. So good luck to the Port of Galveston. The second shout out goes to Orange EV. They are our newest Clean City stakeholders. Not only will they sell you EV trucks and drayage equipment, they will also help you find funding for that replacement. Furthermore, they have already attended their first Clean City Stakeholders meeting. Have you? Haha. Both stakeholders have easy websites that you may visit if you'd like to learn more. The Port of Galveston's website is portofgalveston.com. And the EV Orange website is, you guessed it, orangeev.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you for listening to HGAC's Fuel for Thought. And with that, we'd like to thank you for listening to Houston Galveston Clean City Coalition's Fuel for Thought podcast. Join us for our next episode where we will continue focusing on different alternative fuels.
You have been listening to Fuel for Thought, a podcast of the Houston Clean Cities Coalition, hosted within the Houston Galveston Area Council. Our special guest was Mr. Chris Powers of Houston Biodiesel. All music and sound effects were provided by Mixpad Masters through the NCH software.